Life's too short. Life's too damn short. So, eat everything. Try anything. Exercise. Experience all that life has to offer. Here's exercise physiologist, medical journalist, and healthy talk host, Melanie Cole, MS. When you lose someone, you know that everything changes. Sometimes time comes to a standstill, and you're not really sure how you're going to move forward from that. And well-meaning people, they bring the casseroles and they come around. And then after the sort of onslaught, then everything sort of settles down. And what do you do then? Well, here to talk about that is my guest, Dr. Sherry Cormier. She's a psychologist, consultant, and public speaker. Dr. Cormier, let's talk about, first of all, why does it matter how we grieve or why we even look at how we grieve? Because I think people say, well, I'm grieving, just leave me alone to grieve. But yet there is something to this, right? Yes, there is. And I mean, there's a couple things to it. And by the way, I'm so uh, glad to be on your show. And what a great title, too. (laughs) Life is too short, Melanie. Well, it is. Oh, and it's perfect for this particular topic, isn't it? Yes. Absolutely, because we never know. And, you know, the reason that I think it's important to talk about how we grieve, well, first of all, in the United States in general, we tend to be grief-phobic. And so a lot of us, when our friends or family members suffer some kind of hard loss and, you know, It could be loss of a person, it could be loss of a house or a job or, you know, some difficult situation you're going through. We often run away. We feel like we're going to want to run away from people because, you know, we want everything to be happy and light. And so it's hard sometimes for us to stick around and be with the griever. And sometimes we really push people to move past grief, and that's not a really a great thing to do. Grief, you know, the sadness that comes with grief and bereavement is an emotion. And emotions like sadness, we really need to process. And so if we don't process the emotion of sadness and we don't feel our grief and we don't sort of lean into it, and we let's say we want to run away from our grief ourselves and push it under the rug, you know, it doesn't, we don't really ever heal from it. We might believe we heal from it, yet the next time around that something happens that shatters us or that's traumatic for us, we're likely to have a much more intense reaction because we did not process our feelings of sadness and and grief around the first traumatic loss that we experienced. So that's part of the reason. And we also know, Melanie, that about 10% of people who experience some kind of traumatic loss, and this, the 10% often are people in situations where the loss is very sudden, very unexpected, uh, maybe involves some form of violence that about 10% of people don't heal from grief, even though they try desperately on their own. You know, three, four, five years after the loss event, they stay stuck in grief, and we call that complicated grief. 
And there, that actually requires professional intervention and treatment to help people with complicated grief. So about 90% of people can heal from grief on their own with the support of great friends and family and maybe support groups. And then about 10% do really need um, professional treatment for grief from a, a, you know, a, a grief kind of therapist or counselor. So loved ones, people, those well-meaning loved ones. And, yeah. you know, it's people say you shouldn't say, I know how you feel, even if they've lost somebody and they actually do right. know how the person feels. But so what what are they supposed to do besides bringing casseroles and not saying, I know how you feel? And I know that a lot of people, Dr. Cormier, yeah. say, if you need me, let me know. But I hear you're right. not supposed to do that either. You're supposed to say, what can I do or what can I bring or can I bring yeah. you this? Or So speak yeah. about what the loved ones are supposed to do. I love that you're asking me this. The thing about saying, um, I know how you feel. Well, here's a good example. I was on the radio earlier this morning with a woman, a host, who had lost her husband six or seven months ago. So I lost my husband a decade ago. So even though we've both had similar kinds of losses that were very hard for us, everybody has a unique grief journey. So my grief journey and my own healing process from loss is not going to be identical to hers or anyone else's. So I think when we say to somebody, I'm sorry and, oh, I really get how you feel, we don't know for sure exactly how someone feels. I think it's uh, sometimes I say to people, having been through this kind of thing myself, I know that this is probably a difficult time for you. But I try not to say I know how you feel because I don't think we exactly always know how other people feel. And then I love the second thing that you said. We, You know, when you're grief-stricken and you're bereaved, your energy is very low. And so if you just say to someone, well, here I'm, sending you a card or I'm sending you a book or bringing a casserole or sending flowers, let me know if you need something. That was said to me a lot, honestly, Melanie. A lot of people said, well, call me if you need me. I never called. Sure, nobody ever does, right? Mm -hmm. Right, and no one does. So you are exactly right. Phrase an open-ended question, what can I do to help now? What can I, when can I call you that would be helpful? When would you like to come over and have dinner with us? Sometimes people would say, oh, you know, call if you want to come have dinner. Well, that feels very awkward. Hello, I'd like to come have dinner with you tonight. (laughs) You know, no one's really going to do that. So be very specific, ask open-ended questions. What can I do? When can I help? How can I help? See, I think that that's such important information. It is. The other thing that I would mention, go ahead. No, no, that's okay. It's just that it's so important for people to hear that open-ended question and to really offer. And now finish your thought because I I have more questions for you. Well, okay, the other thing that I was going to say is, and, and again, this comes up in so many talks that I do in radio shows, 
why do you feel worse, say, six months down the road, nine months down the road, than you did right after the loss? Well, I think it's because, first of all, after a big loss, you're in a little bit of shock, which is protective. You may feel a little numb. That's protective. Uh, You may have a lot to do. That's protective. But I think the biggest key to that is that people are there for you in the immediate aftermath. And then we all get busy as we are with our lives and we go away. And so I always say to people, remember, when someone you love has had a hard, heartbreaking loss, you're, you want to show up for them. But remember, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And so don't just show up with a casserole and then leave. Remember to check in with that person. I mean, we're now approaching a very vulnerable time for people who've had loss this year, we're approaching holiday season. And I don't care what your holidays are, if it's, you know, Thanksgiving, if you celebrate um, Hanukkah, Christmas, whatever, whatever your holidays are, that's a huge trigger time for people who've had loss this year. So even if someone had a loss last February, you need to be attentive now and in November and in December to the fact that those are probably going to be hard times for that person and check in with them. Call them, ask, you know, see if you can meet them for lunch or coffee. Again, ask if they have holiday plans. Ask them if they're doing okay. Ask them if they're experiencing hard times, and if there's any way that you can be helpful, how would that be? That's great advice. And as we wrap up, Dr. Cormier, help help the people that are grieving now, because we've talked about the loved ones, but help the people that are grieving to cope or to develop resilience. What is it that you tell them as that time, it's a marathon, as you say, and as that time goes on, what tips can they use coping yeah. strategies to get through that time and on to whatever is the next part of their lives? Yes, yes. That's a great question. Well, I think that uh, one thing is uh, initially, you know, grief changes over time. I don't think we get rid of grief and we're not supposed to get rid of it. I do think it it lessens in intensity over time unless we're in the 10% that's stuck in complicated grief. So one of the things that we need to remember is that sadness and grief are heavy emotions and we need to process them at the same time. There are times when we need to take breaks from grief. You know, we need to go to a game or listen to music or watch a comedy show or hang out with little people or play with a pet. You know, anything that makes us feel, even if it's momentary, that makes us feel happy. So that's one thing. And then practicing self-care. I know you're an exercise uh, physiologist. You'll love this. But exercise is huge for grief because, again, grief is a heavy emotion and it gets stuck in the body. So to move that energy, to process it and move it out of the 
body, we need to move our bodies. I was back in the gym within the first week after my husband died, and our gym had a sign that said, if you don't take care of your body now, where will you live? So some, you know, go swimming, go for a walk, go for a run, get on the treadmill, go to a Zumba class, go to yoga. It doesn't matter, but do something that moves your body. Sleep is very important, and of course, regular exercise helps us sleep better. Our sleep can be challenged with grief and sadness, so making sure that we sleep well is important. Eating well is important, avoiding processed or junk food uh, so we kind of keep our immune system health up and running. Those are all really good things to do, and then probably the most important thing in this sort of ties into what I was saying earlier, but seek and find social support because when you're grieving, it's very isolating. You feel alone. You may feel abandoned. You may just feel like no one cares about you anymore. And that's not the case, but it may be how you feel initially. And so find people whether it's a support group or neighbors or friends, because loneliness we know now is can really be a killer. So we need to make sure that we have located people that we can be in connection with, we can spend time with. That changes our brain chemistry, and that actually elevates our moods like exercise does and makes us feel better. Tell us about your book. You've got a new book out. Tell us about Sweet Sorrow, Finding Enduring Wholeness After Loss and Grief, and where people can find out more about you. Great. Thank you so much, Melanie. I wrote a book recently. I've had a lot of losses in the last decade. My father, my husband, my mother, my dog, and my only sibling all died in the last decade. And I waited to write this book because I wanted the readers and your listeners, to have a book that isn't totally a dark book about loss, that shows how grief evolves over time, as it does, and gives readers a sense of hope and inspiration. You can go on any of your favorite online booksellers like Amazon or Barnes & Noble or Books A Million and order Sweet Sorrow. And I have a website www.sherry, Cormier, C-O-R-M-I-E-R, author, A-U-T-H-O-R dot com. I also have a Facebook page, uh, Sherry Cormier at Sweet Sorrow, and I do posts on that page, public posts on that Facebook page that have to do with grief and loss. You can message me. I have an Amazon author page. I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn. I'm pretty accessible, and I'd love to connect with your listeners. Thank you so much for being with us today. It's really it's great information for people to hear who have lost a loved one and for people to hear that know someone or love someone 
that has lost a loved one and how they can really behave with that person and cope and help them to cope and move on to whatever happens to be next for that person. Thank you again for joining us. You're listening. You're listening to Life's Too Short, and you know, so am I at four foot ten. So we named this show for a reason, and I want you to share it with your friends. Tell your friends about it on Facebook, on Twitter, and of course on RadioMD.com, and you can listen to these shows on Stitcher and iHeart and iTunes and everywhere podcasts are played. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening and stay well.